I want to start things off by saying thank you to all of you who've been taking time to leave a review for Popcorn Finance and Apple Podcasts. I, I really do appreciate all the kind words. And so for today's kernel, I'm jumping back in to the Apple Podcast reviews. This one comes from Mac Attack 07. Uh, Mac wrote, I found Chris from a live he did on Instagram. I think this was the one I did with the uh, Brookville Place, if some of you caught it. I have learned so much from him in under a week. Short episodes that are packed full of information and encouragement. Mac, thank you for the kind words and for your encouragement. I really do appreciate it, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hey, this is Chris. Hope you're doing well, and welcome to Popcorn Finance, the show where we discuss finance and about the time it takes to make a bag of popcorn. Last week, I had Kenzie Grant, the host of the podcast Business Casual on the show, and we were discussing ethical investing and how to use the money that we're putting towards our retirement, the money that we're saving for the future. How do we use that to support the organizations and the causes that we care about? Because in the end, this money is going out into the market and how is it affecting the world that we live in? And while we were talking, a thought popped into my mind. I was like, how much of this money are these companies actually seeing? Are they, are they directly financially benefiting when we're putting money into our retirement plans? And so I reached out to one of my favorite guests, one of the people who are the most knowledgeable on this topic that I know, Caleb Silver, the editor-in-chief of Investopedia.com. And I asked Caleb, am I buying these shares directly from these companies when I invest? Are they directly benefiting from my money? And this is what he said. The only way you can buy directly from the company is if you are subscribed to their initial public offering. And only very special investors with a lot of money in those companies or family and friends of the executives or owners of those companies or, or very deep pocketed investment banks are able to buy directly from the company. By the time a company goes public at the New York Stock Exchange or NASDAQ or any other exchange around the world, that's the primary market where they're now selling them to the public. Those initial, those private shares, uh, those come only for very special or very rich folks that have put a lot of money into these companies. So Caleb mentioned a few terms there, like initial public offering, which is when a company first issues their stock. It's the first time ever selling shares of stock in their company. But to sum it all up, what Caleb is saying is, unless you're very wealthy, unless you've got a lot of money, you're probably not buying shares of stock directly from these companies. You're probably not giving your money directly to these organizations. You're buying it from another investor. So given the situation where your money is not even directly going to this company in most cases, I pose this question to Kenzie. Does this even matter then when you're thinking about investing ethically and supporting these companies that you believe in? Does the money you're investing into these stocks even have an impact at all? I think yes. And it's a little complicated. You know, in any any way, individual investor is going to deploy capital in the market. It's going to be a little less impactful on, you know, surface level than say a big institutional investor and that's just because it's a smaller scale but you have to also recognize that my individual smaller scale combined with your individual smaller scale and the millions of other people involved in the stock markets individual smaller scale makes something pretty big and to me it's all about accountability when you are a shareholder it's your job to hold that company accountable whether that accountability is financial returns or something a little more nuanced, like we're talking about, you know, say Nike's commitment to the environment or its commitment to diversity. Those are different standards, but you can still hold a company accountable to those things. And shareholder activism has really, really taken off to me in recent decades because people have recognized that there is power in this large number, this large swath of individual investors. 
Sure, we might not be able to execute trades at the same scale as, say, the high frequency traders working at these huge banks and institutions, but that doesn't mean that you don't have a say. You just have to recognize that you can exercise that say and you have to go back and check on your investments every now and then. And you have to realize that it's your job to hold a company accountable if you really do want to see change happen. The fact that I, as a shareholder, and that's what I become once I buy or purchase a share of stock in a company, have rights and privileges because I am invested in this company slips my mind all the time. I'm just thinking about, oh, I'm putting money in here so that it'll grow and I can stop working at some point in time. You know, I don't really think about these things. But the fact is, I have some power. Although it may be small, I have some power. And so I asked Caleb, what rights do I have as a shareholder? What can I do? What, what influence can I push on a company when I purchase shares of their stock? If you own shares in a company, you own a piece of that company, a fraction of that company. The more shares you own, the more of the company you own, theoretically, and the more influence you can exert. Typically, when everyday investors like you and me buy 10 shares of this company or that because we like the company or we like its prospects, we are very small minority shareholders with very few rights. Now, we do have some rights as shareholders, and those rights mean we can vote on major issues affecting the company. We actually own a piece of the company, as I mentioned, a very small fraction of it. We can transfer our ownership of that company to someone if you want to give the shares to your your nephew or your, your friend. You're entitled to dividends if that company issues dividends. If they pay out every month a little piece, a little bonus for owning the stock, you're entitled to those based on how much you own. You can look at a company's books. You have the right to open up their books and ask for filings. They're available publicly, but if you want more information, you can reach out to the company and get it. And you can sue a company for wrongful acts. And that could be a civil suit. It could be a criminal suit. But the more shares you own, the more power you have. If you're a small minority shareholder, you don't have a lot. But if you're one of these big shareholders that keeps accumulating pieces and pieces of companies until you own a large majority share, well, you can very much influence the direction of that company. Basically, the bigger chunk you have, the more pressure you can uh, exert on the company if you want to see things done a little bit differently. Absolutely. And you can always vote with your pocketbook by leaving the company or selling the shares. You can turn away. But you can't, unless you own a meaningful chunk of that company, change the course of that company or force it to do things. You can start a movement and bring other shareholders together and bring a lot of shareholders together in a class action or in a very large group of shareholders that own a significant piece of that company. And you can issue what we call a proxy uh, battle. And you can mm. ask the company whether you want them to to uh, have more female uh, executives or whether you want them to stop global warming or whether you want them to stop a specific type of advertising with enough shareholders gathered together in a class in a in a in a powerful syndicate you can have influence on the company but you need to be able to gather that now being a shareholder gives you the right to bring those people together if you want and then then address the company's board of directors but you need mass you need strength when you're trying to make changes in a public company this is a great example of how sometimes as an individual maybe you can only affect so much but a large group of people working together can have significant change just as Caleb mentioned when you get a group of shareholders together, you can exert influence if you have enough power. But outside of this power, and since we know that our money in most cases is not directly going to these companies whose stock we're purchasing, I wanted to know, are there any other ways in which we are benefiting these companies if we are purchasing their stock? So I asked Caleb, if I went out and bought a bunch of Tesla stock tomorrow, 
would they benefit from that at all? If you and a lot of other people are doing that and there are more buyers than sellers and the price of Tesla stock keeps going higher, then what Tesla's market value or market capitalization grows bigger and bigger, right? It becomes a bigger company. We've heard about Apple becoming a company worth $2 trillion. Mm. doesn't mean it's selling $2 trillion of goods. It means the st- the value of the company based on the amount of shares it has issued to the public and the price of those shares is at a certain size where it values the company at, at, that, at that amount. So the higher market value a company has, the bigger it gets and the more influence it could have. Now, another thing that it's able to do when companies grow their market values and they become bigger and bigger, they're able to use their stock as currency to buy other companies, buy a competitor to make strategic investments. They use that stock as basically a very strong form of currency for all of those purposes. So yes, you're benefiting Tesla if you become a shareholder and enough people where the market value gets bigger and bigger. As a bigger company, Tesla has a much bigger footprint and can do things with that shareholder value, that market capitalization, because you're a shareholder. Uh, got it. So it's not a direct, say, like monetary, like it's not like they're going to get that money I'm throwing into the market necessarily, but I'm making them a more powerful organization by helping increase the market cap if, if a lot of us are in there maybe purchasing right. at the same time. If you bought those shares right now, they would have never have any idea that it happened. They may look, those executives, they may look at the stock price every day and say, are we up? Are we down? What is it that's influencing our shareholder price? But they don't know Chris bought 10 shares of the company. They're probably grateful and you'll probably get some nice little postcard in the mail and definitely a lot of junk mail from them. But what you're effectively doing, because they have gone public, as we as we talked about before on the primary market, they've issued shares, fractions of their company out to the public for people like you and me to buy them. So they don't get any cash benefit from you owning the shares. They're just saying, oh, there's people out there like Chris and Caleb who actually want to own a little piece of our company. The more people that want to do that, the higher the price of the company, the higher the market value our company grows. And then we can start doing things with that size. I had not really thought about the fact that companies benefit from our investments in this way. I had never made that connection. And if you think about it, you've probably heard this in the news where say Facebook purchases a company and they do that by basically giving them shares of stock in Facebook, making those people who receive the shares instantly extremely wealthy just by having those shares. And that's a lot of power to have without actually having to spend all of their money to make these acquisitions, making these companies larger and more powerful over time. And so I know this can be a lot to take in. We're already balancing just trying to understand how to invest and where we should put our money and then all these options at work. So it's a lot to take in. And I'm not saying that you need to just scrap all that and learn how to become the most ethical investor of all time. It's more so if this is something that you're interested in and making an impact with the money you are investing, it's just to keep that in mind. And I think Kinsey does a really great job of explaining this. We think about diversity within our portfolios. Obviously, there are investments that you make to just put the money aside, let it make you more money and don't think about it. Those have a a huge impact on on your portfolio in general and should be something you focus on as an investor. But there also can be the kinds of investments where you really want to pay attention to it. You really want to invest time and do your diligence and think about it a little more actively than you might some of these passive vehicles for investment. Uh, It's all just about what you want that goal to be with the money that you're deploying. It's great to automate your retirement. Uh, but maybe check back in every so often and look at what's going on. And I I think especially with investments that you're making specifically to achieve some sort of ethical uh, end goal, those should be the kinds of investments that you feel more comfortable checking back in on. They should be the kinds that, you know, it might take a while to make the money off of these things because as we all have learned, 
change takes a really long time. And when we're talking about totally changing something like the environment or the way that companies are structured or racial diversity problems or representation problems, those aren't things that change overnight. They're things that have to be checked up on and we have to keep having conversations and keep pushing company leadership to make sure that those conversations are had with the right people. Huge thank you to Kenzie Grant, the host of Business Casual, for stopping by one more time and lending her voice to our discussion on ethical investing. If you want to check out Business Casual, you can find it where you're listening to Popcorn Finance right now. It's a great show and they cover a wide range of topics. I actually just got through listening to an episode where they tackled the potential birth bust that could be occurring here in the U.S. because people just aren't having as many kids as they used to. So definitely make sure you check that out. And a huge thank you as well to Caleb Silver, Editor-in-Chief of Investopedia, my favorite resource when it comes to brushing up on my investment knowledge. And they just recently launched a brand new podcast called Investopedia Express, and it's all about making listeners educated investors. So if you're looking for a way to, to learn more, if you like some of the things I touch on here and you're like, I want to dive a little bit deeper into it, Investopedia Express is a great show to add to your rotation. So thanks again, Kenzie and Caleb, for joining me here on the show. And thank you to all of you for joining me here for another bag of popcorn. I hope you all have an amazing rest of your week. And remember to register to vote. Your boy, keep it popping like Mary Poppins.